Now we will turn to God's word. We're going to be in Ezekiel. Uh, We're going to continue our study there. And again, as a reminder, if any of you are kind of struggling to track along or feeling maybe lost or whatever, we've got uh, some of these brochures in the back. A lot of this information just comes right out of the uh, ESV study Bible. If any of you are looking for a good study Bible, the ESV study Bible is excellent. A lot of this information just comes right out of that. Um, I'm going to invite um, Shung forwards to read. Um, we're going to be again in Ezekiel 24. I think the the uh, page number is in the bulletin there. I don't have it right in front of me. 800 something, I believe. 845. Okay, great. So if you want to follow along with paper copy of God's word, you can do that or to be up on the screen as well. So thank you, Shung. Ezekiel 24, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day. The king of Babylon has laid sage to Jerusalem this very day, and utter a parable to the rebellious house, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, set on the port, Set on it, set it on, pouring water also, putting it the pieces of meat, all the good pieces, the thigh and the shoulder, fill it with choice bones, take the choicest one of the flock, pile the log under it, boil it well, seize also its bone in it. Therefore thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city, to the port, whose corrosion is in it, and whose corrosion has not gone out of it. Take out of it piece after piece, without making any choice, for the blood she has shed is in her midst. She put it on the bare rock. She did not pour it out on the ground to cover it with the dust. To rouse my wrath, to take vengeance, I have set on the bare rock the blood she has shed, that it may not be covered. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, I also will make the power great, and that the bones be burned up, then set it empty upon the coals, that it may become hot, and its copper may burn, that its uncleanness may be melted in it its corrosion consumed. She has varied herself with toil. Its abundant corrosion does not go out of it. Into the fire with its corrosion. On account of your unclean lewdness, because I would have cleansed you, and you were not cleansed from your uncleanness, you shall not be cleansed anymore until I have sanctified my until I have satisfied my fury upon you. I am the Lord. I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back. I will not spare. I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, 
I'm about to take the delights of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not moan or weep, nor shall you your tears run down, sigh, but now aloud, make no mourning for the dead, bind on your turban, and put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at the evening my wife died, and on the next morning. I did as I was commanded, and the people said to me, "Will you now tell us what these things mean for us, that you are acting like this?" Then I said to them, "The word of the Lord came to me: Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the yearning of your soul." And your sons and your daughters, whom you left behind, shall fall by the sword. And you shall do as I have done: you shall not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. Your turbans shall be on your heads, and your shoes on your feet. You shall not mourn or weep, but you shall be away. You shall rot away in your iniquity and groan to one another. Thus shall Ezekiel be to you. As a sign, according to all that he has done, you shall do. When this comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. As for you, son of man, surely on the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delights of their eyes and their soul's desire, and also their sons and daughters, on that day, a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day, your mouth will be opened to the fugitive, and you shall speak and be no longer mute. So you will be assigned to the people, and they will know that I am the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Thank you, Sean. As we come to God's word, let's just briefly pause for a prayer again. Lord, help us as we come to your word. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and pierces right to the very bone and marrow. Lord, let us receive what you have to say this morning. And、let us not only be pierced. Let us be healed, like a surgeon coming in to make an incision to remove the cancer, or to fix a bone that's out of joint. Would you, Lord, in that way, minister to us through your Word this morning? Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So my children got out an old movie recently. I'm probably getting the fact that I like to share stories about my little ones. Sorry, guys. <laughs> They got out an old movie recently, one that we had not watched together in years. It's not an old movie; it's one that we had not together watched in a long time. And the movie starts out with a, an old kung fu master、um, who's also a turtle. 
having a dream that one of the villains that they had locked away would break out of prison and come back for revenge. So he's like a turtle. He's balancing on this pole. He has this dream that this villain is going to come back. And he tells one of the other Kung Fu masters in the village, who happens to be a red panda, he passes on this message to him that this guy is going to break out of prison and he's going to come back and uh, get his revenge. Immediately, the red panda panics and calls for a written message to be sent to the prison that they were to double the guards and double all the weapons and double everything to keep this guy from getting out of prison. There was no way he was going to escape. Well, the messenger, who is a bird, flies off with the letter into the far reaches of the mountains to deliver that important message, that letter to the prison. Ironically, while he's inside, one of the messengers, this bird, one of his feathers comes off and happens to get into the hands of the villain that is imprisoned there, who then uses the feather to pick the lock and escape. The point of this opening sequence in this children's movie is that sometimes our efforts to avoid a thing are the very means that end up leading us to the thing we were trying to avoid. In the movie, that thing is fate. It's a thing called fate, and it's talked a lot about in these movies. Certain things in the movie are fated to happen, and you can see the characters trying to avoid their fate. They want to have a sense of being in control and being able to determine the things that happen to them. Don't we all? But as the opening sequence of the movie shows us, so much is actually out of our control, right? For us as Christians, we, we reject the notion of fate, but we do believe in a God that is sovereign and who is in control of the world and of our lives. Those are different things. I won't go into explaining it at this point, the differences. But sometimes we may not like what he's doing in our life or around us or in the world. And we're tempted to resist what God is doing. We see the writing on the wall and we may not like it. So we resist it or try and avoid it. But I think what we're going to see today, or at least what I hope we'll see, is that the best thing you and I can do when we are faced with unpleasant circumstances is trust in the perfect plan of our good God. The trust in his plan. So here's the big idea that I want to try and convey this morning. Since all of us will face unpleasant circumstances here, here, we're all going to face challenges. This is a truism, right? True for all of us. We must learn in those circumstances to lean upon the character of God. Lean upon the character of God. Trust the character. Trust who he is. In other words, all of us are going to face some hard stuff in our lives. And some of us will deal with things that are unspeakably hard. And if we're honest, circumstances that we would not choose. We would do it different, wouldn't we? If it were up to us. But God, for whatever reason, has allowed those things to come our way. And in those moments, we must lean Trust in the character of God, who he is 
and what he's done. We must lean upon what we know of God to get us through. Okay, so that's that's the big thought I want to try and get across. I've got a few points that we'll see as we go along here. But in the events that are unfolding in our story before us today, we're going to see two men responding to challenging circumstances in very different ways. And one of those is a man named Zedekiah, and I'm going to talk about him in a moment. And the other is Ezekiel. Okay, Both of these men are going to get some really bad news. And how they respond is very, very different. One man resists the Lord's plan and the other embraces it, even though it is hard. What's the difference? What's the difference between these two characters? We'll see as we go through the story together. But first, before we get into the weeds, we need to try and frame up what is happening in the story. Now, this is where, again, on your way out, if I lose you here, because there's a lot of historical stuff and I've done my best to try and condense it and make it as simple as I possibly can. But I think it's time. We've we've gone along in Ezekiel a ways without really getting into kings and all the things that are happening. But we're kind of at a place where we need to do a little bit of that now. So I'm going to do my best to frame up what's happening in the story and uh, hopefully won't lose you. So bear with me for a few moments as we go into some of the background here, okay? Again, some of you are tracking right along with us and you'll know some of this. It's going to be a repetition for some of you, but there'll be some new uh, information perhaps as well. You've been tracking along with us through the story of Ezekiel, and you know that Ezekiel was taken into captivity by Babylon some years ago. Okay, at this point in chapter four of our of chapter twenty-four of our story, Ezekiel has been in captivity over nine years now. So he's been away from home in Babylon for over nine years. Ezekiel was set to be a priest when he was back in Jerusalem, but because of the Babylonian occupation and exile. He was taken away, and of course, those plans have changed. He's not at the temple. All that stuff is not uh, being practiced or able to be practiced at this point, so he's not obviously going to be a priest. Instead, in exile, God still has work for him to do, and he calls him to be a prophet. And he appears to him. Again, we went through all of this at the beginning of Ezekiel. He gives him these amazing visions about five years after he had gotten to Babylon, and he calls him to be Um, a prophet and the message that he's been given to give the people there in exile is a tough one that God is going to bring judgment upon them because of their sins they've disobeyed God they've rejected God they've broken covenant with God and God is going to honor the terms of their agreement he said if you obey and follow uh, the commands and instructions I've given you you will be blessed and if you disobey you will be cursed now by the way that doesn't mean They must be perfect. Don't read it that way. The covenant wasn't set up that way. It wasn't that you can't ever sin or you're going to be cursed. Who could do that? Nobody. It was set up that forgiveness was a part of the whole system, the sacrifices, all of that. So what it meant was be faithful when you sin to repent, to come to me, to make sacrifice and to do those things. But they had neglected all of that. And we're now worshiping foreign gods. So this is not a call to be perfect. This is a call just to live in the systems and promises and structures that God had put into place. And they rejected all of that. Now the exiles there with Ezekiel were Jews. These were the people that God had shown his power and love for um, across generations. And they had continually rebelled against the Lord. Again, it's not as though Ezekiel's given this hard message 
of judgment for the people after they've committed one infraction. No, this is not after committing one infraction. If you were to flip back just a few pages, if you have your Bible open, you could do that if you wanted and go uh, to chapter 20. And uh, chapters 20 through 23, we we skipped. There's a whole logic um, behind all of that. But basically what's going on in that section, especially in chapter 20, is God walking them through their history and showing them how they had continually rebelled and continually turned and continually disobeyed his, his commands over and over again. God's been so very patient with the people over the centuries. And even last week, we saw in chapters 18 and 19, God was still pleading with them to turn from their sin. So God is patient. He's calling them to uh, repentance and to keep covenant with him as they had promised. Again, Ezekiel 18, uh, 31 and 32. Listen, cast away from you all the transgressions you have committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. He's pleading with them, right? This has been the case all along, and they just continue to thrust God behind their backs. They know we're going to do our own thing. So that's what's been going on in for, for a very long time, but even in the days of Ezekiel. He's going to the people, calling them to repentance. The Lord is sending Ezekiel because he loves them and wants them to turn from their sins. And God has also been pleading with them through another prophet as well in a different location, prophet Jeremiah. Okay, so here's where we're going to get into a little more uh, background stuff. And some of this may be uh, fairly new um, for at least for our study uh, in Ezekiel here. Ezekiel was quite a bit younger than Jeremiah and would have been um, he would have grown up probably hearing Jeremiah preaching in the streets of Jerusalem. Now, during uh, this time when Ezekiel was uh, in Babylon, so Ezekiel's in Babylon, he's with the ex- exilic community. They've all been taken. Thousands of Jewish people are in a foreign country. At that same moment, Jeremiah is back in Israel, back in Judah, in Jerusalem, and he is communicating with the people of God. A very similar message as what Ezekiel was telling the people in exile. But what were the people doing with Jeremiah's message in Judah? What do you think they were doing there? Basically the same thing as the people in exile. They were not listening. Okay, God is coming saying, turn from your sins, repent. And both groups of people are rejecting the messengers God is sending them. Well, I guess I should say maybe a better way to put it is they were listening to someone but they were not listening to the right someone. Others had risen to power and influence in Israel and were going out in the name of God, but were not sharing the truth of God. They were lying. They were lying. There were what we call false prophets rising up in Judah and in the area of Jerusalem, and they were sharing a message with the people that was more favorable and positive. Right? I feel this pressure sometimes when, when I'm up here, right? Be positive. Just encourage us. Just Give us a good word, pastor. Sometimes the word's not good, folks, right? Sometimes it's hard. We've got to look inside. It's tough. And I'm under the razor blade too, okay? We're all in it together. But there were false prophets rising up and, no, 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 don't listen to Jeremiah. Don't hear what he has to say. God is going to deliver us from 
the Babylonians. We're not going to be, uh, you know, have any consequences for our sins and so on and so forth. And one man who refused to listen to Jeremiah's message and unfortunately was listening to the false prophets was a man named Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the king back in Judah during this time period. By the time we arrive at Ezekiel 24, Zedekiah has been on the throne in Judah. He's been on the throne since around the time Ezekiel was taken into exile. It's a long, convoluted story. I'm not going to get into the Jehoiakins and the Jehoiachins and all these different kings and people that were put up and then left and deposed and all that stuff. Um, He's been king about nine years at this point. And how he got there is an interesting story, but not for now. So Jeremiah has been coming to King Zedekiah. Again, he's been king for about nine years at this point. And he's delivering the same message that Ezekiel has been giving to the people in exile. Because of your sins and your lack of repentance, your cities are going to fall and Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Now I want us to pause here for just a moment. King Zedekiah has given some terrible news. I mean, what would you do if someone came to you and said... South Royalton, Tunbridge, the whole upper valley is going to be invaded and destroyed. What would that do to you? It would be shocking. It might completely take your breath away. You may not know how to, you might call him a kook, right? Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. So all of this stuff, all those thoughts that run through our head, if we were to hear something like that, are the same things that were happening in that time and place. There are other people popping up with different messages. No, this is not going to happen. That's This is what's going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. And the king is forced to try and discern. How do you think Zedekiah responds? How would you respond? Remember the big idea. Go back and look at it if you've got it there in your bulletin. I'll repeat it. Since all of us will face unpleasant circumstances, we must learn to lean upon the character of God. Do you think Zedekiah leaned upon God's character and trusted who God was when he got this really bad news from his chosen prophet, Jeremiah? No, sadly. The Bible tells us that he formed an alliance with Pharaoh, a Pharaoh named Hophra of Egypt. Instead of believing God and trusting God's plan, even though it was hard and difficult and brutal, he looked for a way out. And just like the irony of the story we started with from the children's movie I mentioned at the start, um, the very thing that Zedekiah did to try and avoid the problem is exactly what brought it about. He made an alliance with Egypt, and that is what provoked the king of Babylon to say, he's betraying us, we're going to invade. So his very effort to escape it is what brought it on. In response to this alliance, that Zedekiah forms King Nebuchadnezzar, invades Judah, and lays siege to Jerusalem. And here we see our first point about leaning upon the character of God. What does it mean to lean upon the character of God? Well, the first thing it means is we must know the character of God. We've got to know it. It's just similar to the, one of the points we made last week. We've got to know the character. If we're going to trust it and lean upon him, we have to know who he is. Zedekiah here obviously does not know the character of God. God is just. God is perfect. God is holy. He is judge. And as a judge of the world, he will not let men escape their sins. You cannot escape your sins. The evils that you've committed by forming an alliance, you you can't escape the 
the things you've done by forming an alliance with other sinners. He says, oh, this sinner over here, this Pharaoh, this idol worshiper is going to deliver me from my sins and not trusting in God. I'm not going to listen to the prophet. I'm going to go over there. You can't escape. Maybe he thought it would be some temporary relief. Then I can figure out what to do next. But beyond that, what, what could Egypt do? Very little. Zedekiah completely misses the point. His biggest problem is not Babylon. It's not the invading army. That's not his biggest problem. His biggest problem is his sins. It's the fact that there's no repentance in the country and in the land. They've broken covenant with God. That's the big problem. Not Babylon. He's provoked a holy and perfect God with his sin. Yet he focuses on the immediate issue of the army. It's coming to take his land and destroy the temple. Zedekiah does not know God and therefore he cannot lean upon his character in a time of distress. So he just looks to men to help him out. Once he realizes that Egypt cannot help him, Zedekiah still doesn't get the picture. Instead of repenting, instead of striving to change his behavior, instead of expressing genuine sorrow over what he and the people have done, he reaches out next To Jeremiah to help him. In chapter 37 of the book of Jeremiah, the king asks for Jeremiah to pray for him and for the cities of Judah. Oh, they're coming. They're laying siege. Pray for us, Jeremiah. Isn't that how we are? Aren't we so? Don't you see yourself in this? We get in trouble and instead of looking inside and seeking change, we just go to some good person to help us out. Oh, well, Uncle Uncle Bob, will, he'll bail me out. He'll pray for me. He'll give me the money or whatever. We ask a friend to pray for us. We miss the fact that God wants to hear from us. God wants relationship with us. He wants us to give him our hearts. To trust him, to know him. And we don't. All we want is to get out of our jam, right? And that's what Zedekiah is doing. Egypt... Jeremiah, come on over. Help me get out of this jam. God's back here in the backdrop. I don't, God, whatever. Just get me out of the jam. Is that not how we are? God wants us to know him. And it's not just about our behavior, about acting the right way in every situation. God is not just trying to modify how we behave. God invites us into relationship with himself. And it's there that we find strength. When we get that bad news, when the terrible thing happens, which it will, all of us have had those phone calls, those moments in our lives where we don't know how we're going to make it through. Maybe we've had multiple. When the world falls apart, when things are hard, it's in relationship with God that we find all the resources to make it through. That's point number one. We have to know his character, know him. In trial, if we are to make it through. Now, let's look at our second point this morning. What does it mean to lean upon the character of God? Well, the second thing it means is we must listen to the voice of God. Must listen to the voice of God. You know, sometimes we can get away with something by trying to plead ignorance. I remember when I got pulled over one time down in South Carolina for speeding, I just moved to the area, and I was going well over the speed limit. And uh, the officer asked me why I was driving so fast, and I told him, 
because I didn't know what the speed limit was, sir. Some of you, no doubt, have uh, seen this in your home. If you've got kids or grandkids, you you correct them for something, and they almost immediately respond with, I didn't know that was a rule. And it's like, have you ever heard that one before? You didn't know that you weren't supposed to put gum in your sister's hair? Like, I have to say that? Like, because you don't whack your brother over the head with a bat? Like, like, I've got to actually articulate that for you to obey it. They respond with, you never told me, right? More like you never listened, right? You never heard. Love your brother. Love your sister. Hmm. That's funny. Well, how do you get to know someone? You get to know someone by hearing them speak to you, right? And having relationship with them, getting to know them, talking to them, observing them. It's the same with God. We get to know God by listening to him. Right? Seeing who he is, understanding him, knowing him in relationship. And because God wants us to know him and know his character, he's speaking to us. So we can't plead ignorance. God is speaking to us. Back in the days of King Zedekiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, what that meant was that he would send a person, a prophet, to share his message with the people. Right? He would give a prophet a message and they would go share it. It was way, this was how God was revealing himself and speaking to his people. And God would speak through that person. And King Zedekiah was not listening to the people that God was sending to him. And this is one of the reasons why he was failing to know God. If we do not listen to God, or God's messengers or to his word, we will not know him. It's that simple. I exhort you, as I do every week, week in and week out, to be in God's word and to listen to those close to you who know God's word well. These people are vital to your well-being. Don't shut them out. Listen to them. During this period leading up to the exile, God sent his people numerous prophets to speak to them and to call them back to himself. Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all these guys were alive and prophesying and speaking of God to the people at the same in the same set of circumstances, same time. And scholars also believe that Obadiah would have been an active prophet around this time in history as well. Multiple people coming to God. And why was God sending these people? Because he cared about them. He wanted them to know him and to hear him and to turn and live. Today, for us, God speaks to us primarily through the Bible. If you want to hear God speak, you must be in his word. And that's point number two, to lean upon God. You must listen to his voice, okay? When bad news comes, difficulty comes, if you're not listening to his voice, it's going to be really hard. You're not going to know him. And you're going to have trouble, okay? And for our last point this morning, we'll finally turn to our selected passage in Ezekiel 24, okay? So this is all a backdrop of what's kind of going on in Judah and in Jerusalem uh, during the same time when Ezekiel in, in chapter 24 is receiving these messages and delivering uh, these, these messages. Okay, so all that was backdrop. We saw how Zedekiah sought to avoid the bad news that Jeremiah had delivered to him by looking to Egypt and asking Jeremiah just to pray for him. And all of that stuff was the very catalyst for the thing he was trying to avoid. Okay, And now, as we come to Ezekiel 24, that thing that Zedekiah wanted to avoid 
has begun. The siege of Jerusalem. And last week, I believe I misspoke and said that it was already underway last week. But it's actually not until right here in chapter 24 where we're clearly told that the siege on Jerusalem has begun. Not only does Ezekiel have to deliver this devastating news that Jerusalem is under siege, he's also given some personally devastating news himself. The delight of his eyes, his wife is going to die very suddenly. But Ezekiel's reaction is drastically different from what we see in King Zedekiah. Ezekiel submits to the will of the Lord and is obedient. He does what's asked of him. And this leads us to point number three. What does it mean to lean upon the character of God? Well, the third thing it means is that we must submit to the will of God. We must submit to the will of God. So we've seen that we must know God. We must listen to his voice. Well, if we're doing those things, then we're going to be in a good position to submit to his will when the hard things come. Okay, this is our third point. And you can see in verses 1 and 2, right off here, where God clearly says that the siege of Jerusalem has begun. And then in verses 3 to 14, God uses an image or a metaphor to explain what it will be like. Now, some of you will recognize this, this image or this metaphor um, from chapter 11 of Ezekiel. This image of Jerusalem being like a big cauldron. You remember we kind of jokingly talking about like the, the witch standing by her, her big stew. <laughs> right? Like that kind of a big cauldron pot. That's the image here. And, uh, you know, back in chapter 11, the people were saying that Jerusalem is like a big, big pot and that nothing could get in, right? It was going to keep out all the bad, the world, the Babylon, all that stuff is going to be kept out because it was this big pot and nothing could get in. It was impenetrable. The walls of Jerusalem were thick and strong. And although back then God refuted that logic, that false notion still persisted. As we arrive a couple years later now in chapter 24, that false notion is still there. They continued to think that their chosen status and the strong walls of Jerusalem and, and the presence of the temple and all these things were going to shield them from attack and from calamity. They had the patriarchs. We've got the promises, the temple. There's no way that what Ezekiel and Jeremiah and these other guys are saying is going to come to pass. No way. So God here in this section in 24, turns the metaphor on them and says, basically, okay, if you want to continue to think of Jerusalem as a cooking pot, fine, have it your way. Continue to say that. But what is the meal? He say, turns it. What's the meal? What's the meal going to be? It's not going to be a, a sacrificial animal. It's going to be you. You're going to be stuck and you're going to die in your sins. Just boom, right in the gut, he says it to his people. In Ezekiel 24. It's not a pretty answer. But it's God's answer. They will be the stew that is cooked in the cauldron pot. And God says make it big. Put on the spices he says. Because you're not hearing my voice. If that wasn't hard enough to speak to the people. Imagine Ezekiel's got to share this with these people. That wasn't enough. Now in verses 15 to 17, we read these words. The Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. That means in a single blow. You shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. So I read it. I'm crying and I'm not even the one who lost uh, his wife. 
Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban. Put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips nor eat the bread of men. So when people would come to him with a a mourning offering, because people would find out his wife died, he'd have to refuse it. No, he couldn't. He wasn't even allowed to mourn. And then down in verse 24, the Lord tells Ezekiel that the death of his wife and the lack of his mourning is to be a sign to them, a sign declaring the loss and the death of Jerusalem. Most of us, are, as we hear that, are probably shocked. How can God do that? We're given very little information about the situation. We know that the marriage appears to have been very good. This wasn't a blessing to Ezekiel, in case any of y'all are wondering. He loved his wife. Ezekiel's wife was the delight of his eyes, it says. What this means is he never longed for another woman. He was fulfilled and happy with her. It reads like maybe he had, maybe he had a day with her before the Lord took her away. What that day must have been like. One wonders if Ezekiel would have shared with her the news that she was about to die. We don't get the impression she was sick and this is just the natural result of sickness. This was a blow. God was going to terminate her life as a sign to the people. If I put myself in Ezekiel's shoes, a prophet, he's unliked, maybe even hated or just looked at as a weirdo, a crazy person, a conspiracy theorist, maybe who knows how people viewed Ezekiel in that time. And I'm being told, basically, at this point, my only friend, my trusted friend, my wife, is going to be taken from me. This was the person he came home to in the evenings and shared about his day. Oh, you remember Bob? Yeah, he threw a rock at me today. Yeah, and the mob came out and they chanted at me and called me crazy a bunch of times. The person that he was telling these things to is now gone. What an unbelievable thing to be told And we're not really given a full explanation other than that this is a sign of the coming death of Jerusalem. But the questions that are probably running through your head and my head are not even addressed in the passage, right? We're not even told. We just wonder how a person can be expected to do what is being asked here. I assume that's probably what you're thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I want you to notice Ezekiel's reaction. Look at verse 18 with me. If you've got your Bible open there in chapter 24, and we're wrapping up here, I'm right at the end. Thank you for, it's been a longer service this morning. He says this, So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And on the next morning I did as I was commanded. Do you hear that? I did as I was commanded. Ezekiel submitted to the will of the Lord. What a contrast to King Zedekiah. You see the contrast. What's the difference between these two people? Well, it's everything we've already seen. Remember the big idea for this morning. Since all of us will face unpleasant circumstances, all of us are going to face tough news, hard things. We must learn to lean upon the character of God. Ezekiel had learned to trust God, to lean into who he knew God to be. 
And what have we seen that means? It means Ezekiel knew God. He listened to God. He knew that his God was good all of the time. No matter what. He knew that his God was just and always did what was right. That he saw the big picture and all the angles and pieces that he couldn't see. He knew that the delight of his eyes, also his wife, was going to a better country. She was going to go be with God. He knew these things. So when the calamity came, even though he was in pain, even though he didn't perhaps understand all that God was doing, he was able to put his trust in God and obey. And here's the thing. This is where this meets the rubber meets the road for us this morning. You and I know more of God than Ezekiel did. We think of Ezekiel prophet. Wow, he must have really known the Lord. And yeah, he saw some things that we haven't seen. But we know more of God than Ezekiel did at that time. We have a clearer picture of who God is than Ezekiel did. Because we have Jesus Jesus, the Bible says, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Ezekiel didn't get to see the day when God would come down and dwell among his people and live among his people. He didn't get to read the stories that we have in our Bibles or see them. And we know that Christ, the God-man, went to the cross in love for you and me. That was something that Ezekiel didn't know. He knew God was loving and compassionate, but to that degree, Ezekiel did not perhaps know. And we know that God is doing something, that God was going to come down, and he did come down in human form, and he gave himself for the life of the world. And Ezekiel didn't know that. We know these things. We've seen something of God that Ezekiel didn't, didn't see. So we have... All the more reason to trust this God, even in the face of terrible news or terrible circumstances. Instead of seeking to avoid, like Zedekiah, when we get tough news or when bad things come or we're looking out at the world saying, I don't know where this is going, God. Instead of seeking to avoid it or change it or control it. Let us embrace whatever our good and gracious God sends our way because we know his character. We know who he is. We know what he's done. And that's what the Lord laid on my heart to share with you this morning. Amen.